Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Laura Laker and I am currently sat on a clifftop just above Sennan Cove near Land's End in Cornwall. I've pulled over at the side of the road on my e-bike and I am riding the National Cycle Network from Cornwall, Land's End to roughly the Taunton area where we're going to do the opening of the street that's being opened in my dad's name this is a special episode that we have recorded i was with andy cox on monday in isle of wight and i rode with him for 30 miles on the first day of his national tour of the uk running and cycling 30 miles a day raising money for road peace and we cycled with his brother and i interviewed him part way along so this is what you're about to hear before we get onto that, I just looked down at my leg. I just stopped for some breakfast, a roll and some cheese on a rock on this beautiful piece of coastal path, like a gravel section between Land's End and Sunning Cove on a lovely um, little pile of granite rocks. I tried to clamber down to get something off my apple and <laughs> basically fell in between some rocks into some nettles. So most of my left thigh is now covered in welts that are rising up and, and um, all my fingers are tingling. So... Yeah, it's been a bit of an adventure so far and it's just the first day, so who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, so that's what I've been up to. Uh, I'm going to meet someone from Sustrans later. But in the meantime, let's hear from Andy Cox and we can hear about his fundraising efforts and why he's doing it. So we are at the seaside on the first day of your national challenge. Do you want to quickly run us through what you're doing and what we're doing today? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you ever so much for taking part. It's amazing to get the challenge underway. I think we've done about 10 miles and obviously it's 30 per day but the reason we're doing it ultimately is number one to raise awareness of road danger and save life in doing so because still unfortunately you know, five people every day or thereabouts on average in the UK die and about 24,000 people a year are permanently disabled so that's a point that's often lost so it's number one uh, to raise awareness of road danger and number two to raise money for Road Peace who are a charity that support bereaved families and do so much good for them so like any charity they've struggled probably and I think Road piece are somebody we should get behind. So I'm hoping 
up and down the country people are raising money for road peace it helps them but obviously to raise awareness as well today the themes on the language that we use around road collisions to be fair we've worked collectively i think on this so so many people use the word accident and that would imply it was just one of those things it was just something that was going to happen it couldn't be avoided and obviously that's not the case this is about drivers who are making choices to drive recklessly or dangerously and ultimate selfishness from them so rather than using the word accident we encourage the word crash or collision and i think that sets the tone obviously number one it's offensive to bereave families who see the word accident and see the way that it's just assumed to be one of those things when it really isn't but number two really the reason this is important is to change the narrative to make society think differently so that we don't accept five people dying every day and that we recognise that's a choice and it's driver choice and they don't have to do that and we can save life by doing that. Because I think some people think, well, accident, does it really matter? I mean, if we're sort of catching people and we're, and we're prosecuting people, then how important is this really? Well, I, I think it's really important because, you know, rather than catch, I'd rather prevent. And I think it goes to the heart of the way that we drive as a society in the, in the country. And I think when you change your language, you change your thought process. And I think people need to recognise we can't continue to accept that many people dying and we can't continue to accept that many people being permanently disabled. It devastates lives, both of those that are uninjured but are at fault and obviously those that are bereaved and and, and so on. Once we change the narrative, we change our behaviours and this is about trying to influence a change in driving standards for improvement and to reduce danger on our road. Yeah, and part of that is proactive policing, this data-led policing that you've been very hot on and, and the recent news from The Times that the way that we sign kind of contributory factors has changed because of the way that you process the data around collisions, which was kind of astonishing, actually. So data is really essential to everything we do because I want to know what the causes are for the collisions when they're occurring and who's involved and everything else so why, when, where sort of stuff so that we can then target our police and enforcement but also encourage other agencies to be involved in the solution so first we have to get our data right so we can be intelligence led around how we then go and tackle that and utilise innovation and other bits to resolve it but also the astonishing nature as you rightly say around the change in contributory factors is something that I've said for a long time is the likely reality so we did a study in London and in Manchester which showed if you review and this is obvious to be fair there's no it's professional judgment would tell you to do this anyway but if you review the causes of fatal collisions the contributory factors at the end rather than the start point you'll get a truer picture of what's happened because clearly at the start officers might have just turned up and it'd be very early assessment of what's happened and at the end we've used our specialist it's been protracted painstaking complex thorough investigation and at the end you're going to really understand what's happened and what that has shown us is that speeding is by far the most prevalent contributory factor so our prediction if London and Manchester is replicated around the country because we've only done it there which I think it will be then speeding will account for about three to four times more fatality than originally thought so actually that changes from around about 250 to up to about 750 towards 1,000 fatalities every year linked to speeding. So I think that then allows us to push, for example, things like speed limiting technology and legislation around that to encourage manufacturers to do that as well, but also to make people stop and think themselves around how they drive, wherever they choose to speed. Because I think speed ultimately comes back to a complacency by the driver who 
thinks it won't happen to them. Yeah. Well, I can now say, well, 750 to 1,000 people unfortunately lose their life every year because yeah. somebody chose to speed. So, that, and that's, that's out of about 1,600 fatalities a year that we're getting, so that's yeah. more than half. It's quite yeah. astonishing, really. Yeah. It's kind of a, a big change, but it's, all, it's almost, you think, well, why didn't we do this before? This is, I mean, you know it's a big problem. Other people must have noticed it's a big problem. If it was a case that something was being recorded initially, like you said, but then it wasn't getting updated when more facts were known, when the uh, investigation had completed, and it just seems kind of obvious, actually. I wonder, you've kind of said what you'd like to happen now. There's a kind of an issue with speeding that I find quite interesting around, like, the resistance against speed cameras, a resistance against tackling speed, and you get this kind of narrative around, oh, it's not real crime, catch some real criminals, or you kind of see these comments from some people. And I wonder if you think this is going to change the narrative, or if it's more the case that we need to be changing the narrative around this and just saying, actually, this is a huge problem, we need to do something about it, and just kind of... Yeah, I guess ignore the the voices that are saying this is nonsense. I think so because one of the most offensive comments to the roast policing teams are go and catch a real criminal. Um, when I can point to so many occurrences where our team stops somebody breaking a traffic law and what I would define as a road crime, because language is important again, so road crime, are committing other crime as well. So the two often go hand in hand. Not always, but you know, on occasion do. And some really high profile cases where we've arrested the most wanted offenders for other crime, murder, etc., who are stopped for a traffic offence through speeding or not wearing a seatbelt. So, so it's offensive for two reasons, but it's most offensive because not only are they a criminal and breaking the law, but they are risking life. And we know that more lives are lost because of a speeding driver and murder and terrorism combined every year. So we absolutely have to explain that to people to make them realise that. But we also have to keep pushing on really because there will be people unfortunately who won't accept it will think it's okay for them um, they will want the really fast car and I have to think about why as a society we are so accepting of really fast powerful cars when when actually the limit is 70 miles an hour the most you can drive in the UK is at 70 yeah cars have been rolled off their manufacturing production line at you know capable of doing way over 150 so way over double the speed limit so why is that why haven't we introduced technology i think these are all things that we need to genuinely debate and think about because you know it's easy if you've been unaffected by road crime to think what is you know, what we worried about but actually if you've lost a loved one or you're permanently disabled or you've been impacted in any way as so many are then that's the rationale and the impact it has so let's think differently as a society I think. yeah and you were talking earlier about um how you've conducted murder investigations and you've had sort of 50 60 people on those and whereas with road collision investigation it's it's a lot smaller and i also noted recently looking back to the policing cuts that we had between 2009 and 2019 that roads policing was disproportionately cut got an excited dog in the background <laughs> oh it's a puppy <laughs> it looks like a, a guide dog puppy in training it's got a little <laughs> no ability dog <laughs> it's a very cute puppy <laughs> yeah I, I wonder because i was curious about why roads policing in the first place <laughs> this dog lost so many um, lost so many officers compared with sort of policing. Was that sort of nationally led, or was that local police thinking actually this isn't a priority? Or so I think there's lots of resources that work in policing that will also work in other forms of policing. So local policing, for example, might be dedicated to the community sort of work or tackling other crime. 
but we'll still have on occasion a role to play around stopping a vehicle and enforcing road crime. So the numbers of resources working on it sometimes are hard to work out exactly if we've gone up, we've gone okay. down or whatever. But I still think collectively across every agency, including policing, more priority needs to be given to road death and tackling that. Because yeah. I think if you look at the news, for example, how many times, and rightly so, by the way, have we heard about knife crime, violence against women and girls, all absolute priorities and horrific when they happen, and you know, youth murder and so on. But how many times do we hear about a fatal road crash? It's often low down the priority list in terms of the media, low down the priority list in terms of the agencies involved. And I think you know, we need to change that. So yeah. there's definitely something we can do around resourcing. I look at legis- legislative change as well. So I think if you look at the sentencing of, there's this thing, is, as you know, called exceptional hardship. Yeah. Which I find astonishing. So somebody's got mm. accrued 12 points, pleads to the judge that the impact of losing their license will be severe on them mm. in terms of their family, their personal circumstances, their employment. Yeah. But everybody knows if you get to 12 points, you should lose your license. Mm. So, and so often people keep their license by pleading hardship. And I say, well, the hardships with the bereaved family, mm. and this person had a chance to address their behaviour. So mm. I think, you know, really we should look at every aspect so not just policing not just you know legislation sentencing societal thinking it's a whole big picture of issues really that yeah. play out but that's why we're here right so we are now trying to raise awareness of that and i'm really pleased as well that this isn't just me there's a lot of police officers up and down the country are taking part there's a lot of um, communications going out yeah. got a fantastic support team helping us as well so hopefully it has a demonstration of Policing is committed to tackling road danger. Yeah. We're asking for help, really. Yeah, not all police committed to tackling road danger, and not all police around cyclists, particularly and vulnerable road users. You still get the kind of uh, I'll give them a high vis vest and tell them to follow the highway code kind of attitudes. One of the things that you talk about is the importance of investing in camera technology, but some of them similarly don't because they perhaps don't recognise the benefit. How do you kind of change the minds of the police who don't get it? So there was a recent example, I won't mention the police force, but a, a police force tweeted out essentially in cycling week, it was, they were saying, you know, go out in your helmet, your yellow vest, etc, etc. And we're really very clear on that. And I um, privately messaged them in the background and said, actually, you know, for example, if it was an assault on a female, we wouldn't say, well, the female shouldn't have worn, you know, that. so uh, trying to draw a comparison between victim blaming and actually trying to draw people's attention to the cyclists when... You know, they unfortunately are involved in these serious crashes. It will be the driver who isn't looking, who's driving you know, badly. It's reckless, selfish, and poor driving behaviour. So very much avoid victim blame, focus on the cause, deal with the cause, not the victim. And they took their message down, put out a completely different message, and I think that's how we can start to influence. So I do do that in the background. But it does frustrate me clearly, and I've intentionally today not worn a high vis for that very reason, and and I wasn't going to anyway, but. To, to make the point really that this is about changing driving culture but it's a challenging subject and I think it will take a lot of learning not just within policing but elsewhere to address that as well yeah yeah you talked about how it's you can't have an active travel policy without a roads policing policy can you just sort of speak a little bit about that yes I'm an absolutely huge fan of active travel I think obviously benefits to the environment benefits to you only have to look at cost of living at the moment cost of fuel benefits to finance benefits to health benefits to mental health all impacts on policing but wider society as well so I think by having good active travel what's not to really like about that and I think policing obviously needs to be really part of a support structure that helps that develop because I think you know to have active travel you need to have confidence that you're going to be safe walking or cycling 
and therefore you need to limit danger, you need to change the culture of driving, you need to force where you need to enforce. So I think to have really strong active travel support, you need to have an anti-road danger piece, you need to tackle road danger to create an environment that supports active travel. So I think active travel's here for the future, it's obviously the way we all need to go. There's a huge movement in that direction, rightly so. So what I'd like to do is make sure our danger reduction strategies are lined up, not just policing, but policing needs to play a part to understand that and support that. And if you had carte blanche to do whatever you wanted around this road danger, because this is your passion, right? I mean, you obviously think it's really important in all seriousness. If you could sort of do anything, if you could like have a role where you could do anything, you could sort of have the resource you needed, prioritise what you wanted to have the effect that you wanted to cut road danger, what would you do? So I think I'd be an intelligence-led, evidence-based lead. So... If I think back to work in London, we had, there's over 9,000 roads in London. We, through analysis of fatal crash locations, analysis of the causes, analysis of the type of driver, everything involved, worked out when, where, why, and cut 9,000 roads down to 136. Yeah, those are the most dangerous roads. The most dangerous roads, yes. And then further refined up 136 down to about four. So didn't mean we never went to the 9,000 roads, but it meant we prioritised the 136 and we really prioritised the four. And I think you could do that around the country. I also think you could target the most dangerous drivers. Again, thinking back to London work, we identified the most dangerous drivers, about 500, and essentially day and night targeted those drivers. And surprise, surprise, we found weapons, guns, drugs, counterfeit currency, stolen vehicles, disqualified drivers, wanted people. And they didn't drive for very long, so because we really targeted them. And I think you could, for example, make that five, ten thousand drivers across the country. I think you know communication strategies are really important. So you'd have a really strong strategy, you'd have really strong governance, you'd have national policy around the right road, when, where, why. You'd have the right driver. You'd have a really empowered policy around the public, because I think around reporting road crimes, you alluded to earlier around head cam, dash cam. You know, I've empowered essentially 66 million people in the country to be part of the solution and encourage policing to receive that, deal with that, enforce yeah. that and therefore everybody's part of the solution and work really collaboratively with every agency you can think of you know, statutory, voluntary, commercial to address the issues including judiciary and um, CPS and sentencing so there's a long way of saying it I think there is a role really where and this has been really well led by Chief Constable Joe Shiner obviously from Sussex who's mm-hmm. a Rose Policing Lead yeah. who understands that and is delivering that and I think it's just getting more people to buy into the right strategies and the right focus and the right support both within and further afield from, from police. Because um, Joe um, Shiner is also the Chief Constable for Sussex yep. Police which you were saying is a big job already. Do other crimes have sort of national leads? I mean does like, is there like a national murder investigation lead? Is There, there is. Yeah. So we tend to do our what you'd argue is our day job. So for example my day job is head of crime in Lincolnshire but I pick up work around collision investigation yeah. as a portfolio and so we would have leads for for everything you can imagine on top of their day job okay they all have day jobs as well okay yeah gosh yeah so i think that's do you think that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) it seems like it's quite a lot to take on you've already got a full-time job and you're like what doing this evenings and weekends it is a challenge definitely but for me the main thing around road danger is you know the passion and genuinely i think there's not a huge amount of people that are nationally really taking this agenda to a different level and i think it's a huge open goal of an opportunity to take this over the next five, ten years. Because ultimately the goal is vision zero. And I think with autonomous vehicles and things coming down the line, that, that is achievable. But you have to have people now who are really passionate and driving that. And I think, you know, over the next five, ten years, we will see significant improvement in the fatality rate. 
but it is lots of different leaders in lots of different sectors being more collaborative because we tend to work in isolation in my view and I think yeah. that's something we can change as well. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about your challenge. So we've got a lot of forces up and down the country taking part. I'm doing 30 miles a day, started obviously today, finishing in Staffordshire at the Arboretum on Sunday. I've got Jeremy Vine coming out with me on Wednesday, Sarah Story coming out on, on Saturday. My brother's here today. Yeah, say hi. Hi there. Uh, Mandy's older brother Dave and I've sorted out the route from today so <laughs> hopefully we'll finish it. Dave's been leading us around the Isle of Wight so um, the Coxes are from the Isle of Wight so is this why we're starting here? Is there a kind of road safety angle? Is this just like where you started? Yeah this is where I lived when I grew up so down here for family but there is actually a place in East Cows which shows the first ever fatal crash I think on the Isle of Wight so I, might have to... I know where that is. Yeah. Do, yeah. It's, it's out near Apps Heath. Yeah. We'll have to look at on the way back at But you know, we've got an amazing setting right now. So it, whilst I'm doing this challenge and it's like really important, it's actually great fun as well, right? Yeah. So we're sitting in, we're sitting near a beach and we're looking at the sea. It's actually yeah. got sunny and Yeah, it's a stunning yeah, it's a stunning view. We've got this enormous kind of seascape around us and we're sitting on a yeah, in a cafe. It's not it's not a bad yeah, it's not a bad <laughs> way to raise awareness of very danger. There's worse yeah. ways to do it. We've raised already for the road piece and I know I mentioned earlier why it's important they obviously support brief families and the idea of raising money for them and they haven't got a lot of money in fairness so this is not a well funded charity is they do put support sessions on for families who who 20 years later say I still have to go to that support session and obviously the more money they have the more sessions they can do they can cover a larger geographical area I've had a contact from actually outside the UK asking can road piece extend to there so it's, it's starting to get real momentum but we've raised as we sit here now around about 57,000 but the target's 100,000 so anybody listening and I know this may go out after the challenge but the Just Giving link is at the top of my Twitter feed and anybody who's got the opportunity and spare cash who's and willing today is hugely appreciated. They make a really big difference don't they because it's not just people like families are bereaved it's a very sort of violent way to to lose someone isn't it one minute they're there and then the next there you can't I mean unless you've been through it it's impossible to imagine really and yeah and these are kind of ripples that carry on throughout someone's life aren't they so yeah. And they also um, champion and hold police into account and they hold other agencies to account. They champion change. So they are really a force for good and they're amazing, amazing people, the people that work there who are supporting this challenge. So this is very much multiple people involved, you know, really, really are fantastic people who do need that support so that they can support others yeah and then um, obviously the people who've had sort of lifelong injuries as well and I think we don't really talk about them a lot and I mean it's something that's of interest to me my dad had a quite a bad collision when he was 16 and he was cycling and um, almost lost his leg and he had one leg shorter than the other for the rest of his life and I think psychologically it it did kind of stay with him for the rest of his life and you know he wouldn't have come through any statistics or he you know he didn't seek any help for things but I think it's a lot bigger problem than we perhaps realise. It's interesting because our dad had the same when he was about 70. Oh really? Yeah yeah so his shin you know it's full of metal basically today and and our dad joined us at the start of the challenge today but thankfully um quickly exited the stage so we, we didn't have to pull up with him the whole journey but um yeah but I mean basically so we can that's certainly not the reason that I'm motivated but I do see the impact for everybody and having sort of worked in fatal crash investigation and met 
to be honest, you hundreds of families that have lost loved ones, but also lots of people that have been disabled and so on. Yeah. It's a, it is a lifelong impact. So, like, in your early career, you, I guess you kind of move around until you find your specialism. What kind of drew you to road collisions? Well, this is quite a funny story. So, I started policing in 99, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to have to say it now. I um, have never issued a traffic ticket in my life. So... <laughs> I know. I, mean, I think you hadn't really got on a bike for what did you say? 20 no, it's, years it's twenty. Today? It's literally twenty oh, years oh, to the day. Yesterday, you might have gone on yeah. a ride with this bike that you bought. I had a little practice nice. yesterday. Yeah. yeah, I've got an amazing bike by the way for it, which is helping immensely. So I was very much to be a detective to run murder, and my chief constable in 2012 promoted me to superintendent and I thought I was going into a crime and intelligence role. And the chief goes, "I'm going to move you to a role called specialist operations, Andy." I said, "Right, that involves." guns and rose policing I said I've never issued a traffic ticket I've never had a gun so why on earth would I want to work there sort of like that and it was a bit of a non-negotiable conversation anyway right. so I had to go there but it, he said you're going to really enjoy it you're going to change it and you'll make a difference and it was the best thing that ever happened to me and that was in Northamptonshire and that role opened me up to the whole problem solving nature of this the whole preventative nature of it perhaps pre-2012 I had the attitude of well it's you know, it's, it was over there and it's maybe just one of those things exactly the attitude we need to change but in terms of collisions happening yeah. it just happens I sort of I suppose I had an attitude I didn't really understand it and therefore when I went into the role in 2012 I realised and became very intelligence led data led so brought a crime mind I think to a role where not many sort of senior detectives had worked in it before and felt well you absolutely can prevent this it isn't inevitable you just need to use your data and then really ruthlessly go after every aspect and definitely did that in Northamptonshire and it made an impact and then I got back into the work obviously in London later. So it kind of happened by accident but then you kind of yeah. realised the impact it could have and I guess maybe seeing the results of road collisions firsthand and how sort of devastating that can be. Definitely. I think it was a fresh pair of eyes with a completely different mindset to yeah. was able to essentially transform the type of strategies we were using and you know, very much see it as a crime, see it as a prevention opportunity, see the impact. All the same strategies I was using for murder investigation were being used in collision investigation, of course. So there was no difference in the type of investigation, but unfortunately yeah, the resource levels are different, but yeah. I think... Yeah, that goes back to mindset. But the, the main thing for me was it was a role which I recognised was about saving life, tackling crime, and the public absolutely wanted us to do it. So it was like ticking all of my boxes for professional satisfaction, enjoyment, and yeah. obviously emotional aspects as well. So Active Travel England is obviously getting off the ground now. There's a load of new schemes that are going to be happening. But also, like you said, if you're going to have like an Active Travel policy then you need to have a policing policy how much do you think you'll be working with active travel england and, and what sort of role can they play in improving road safety so, yeah no absolutely so i think active travel england is the future so i see it as the support obviously for pedestrians and cycling we have to, to provide we have to create an environment where the benefits of active travel which are health substantially mental health environmental economy environment is very very different isn't it from having congestion on a road to having cycle lanes and people getting about and, and looking after themselves and there's an obvious link through effective active travel to reduction in road danger so why I'm such a strong supporter professionally is because people will sometimes say to me why don't you enforce cycling offences and I will say we do but proportionately because the risk of a cyclist hurting somebody is so very different to a vehicle hurting somebody so you know the stats would be sort of 99.7% of fatalities linked to a vehicle rather than a cyclist so there's a road danger reduction benefit there's congestion benefit and all the other benefits I mentioned so what police has to do to be part of and other agencies in fairness is to create an environment which supports active travel and I think clearly 
running alongside that is danger reduction. Cyclists and pedestrians will need to feel confident to go about their travel. Therefore, we need to enforce bad driving, enforce and remove danger from the road and create a supportive environment where people have the confidence that they will be safe on their journey. So that's, I see, a, a critical role where we can dovetail our strategies to support back to travelling. Yeah, because I guess even if you've got bike lanes everywhere, you're still going to have sort of like low traffic neighbourhoods, you're still going to encounter some drivers and they're going to need to know sort of and a lot of it's education I guess it's not all sort of ticketing people and I think the use of for example headcam here where so I see the benefit of headcam is not really about the people we enforce against and we do and people lose their licence because of people reporting footage to, to police but I really see the benefit is in deterrence because when everybody realises that it's not just the police it's not just the speed camera that can enforce it's the driver next to you who is one of them essentially then they will be more inclined to drive sensibly so I think deterrence is a big part so therefore I really would welcome cyclists using head cams and reporting offences because in light of the new highway code, in light of active travel with the technology that's available, we can really tackle drivers who don't respect cycling, who think they've got that entitlement to get past the cyclists regardless of risk. So by tackling that and showing that they, they don't have that entitlement and actually we're going to take the licence from them when they do, then I think... Again, that goes to the heart of encouraging safe cycling, supporting active travel and reducing danger on the road. So that was me and Andy Cox. I hope you enjoyed the chat also by the sea in the Isle of Wight, which is absolutely beautiful. He is doing some great stuff for raising awareness of road safety and also huge physical effort on his part for the second year running and just um, hats off to him so we'll put a link in the show notes to his fundraising campaign just in case you have any spare cash to send his way as he was saying road peace does some hugely important work around supporting the bereaved families of road danger victims and making real change in the way that police tackle road danger and use kind of evidence to make the road safer so yeah all power to him and by the time this goes out i don't know where he'll be possibly in the sheffield area the peak district of dame sarah story who apparently is taking him on a very hilly route so if he gets some extra cash i'm sure i'll appreciate it anyway i'm on a cliff top probably should get going i need to meet someone soon and i keep getting distracted by the view it's just stunning i mean i'm sitting here there's a bay in front of me a big wide bay with this blue just this sort of aquamarine sea this turquoise sea i won't stand up because it's quite windy actually and these just great big white waves crashing against rocks and yeah it's just ridiculously beautiful i keep stopping to look at it and i and i probably should get going so anyway you've been listening to our special edition of streets ahead i think ned's in italy somewhere on the giro adam's in the west midlands and we couldn't bring ourselves together to do a recording remotely in three different locations with me on the road and Ned on the road. Hope you enjoyed it. And you can find us on Twitter at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate us and review us. It does help. Share it with anyone you think might enjoy it. And we'll see you next time. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.